Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me that I was bipolar. I was released with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for about a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using music for therapy and as a way to escape. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Childhood trauma plays a large part in shaping our lives and our mental health. It can trigger mental illness that we are predisposed to, often causing disassociation and post-traumatic stress disorder. Justin Pearson has been in punk bands since he was 15, and I could list them all because I love them all, but I'll leave that to him. Justin once gave me advice on how to scream without ruining my voice. I think he told me to suck on cough drops before a show, but I can't remember. I do remember how kind he was to someone he'd never talked to before. PTSD used to be known as something you bring back from war, or the result of being a first responder and seeing too many horrible things. But we know now that it is caused by all kinds of trauma and is recognized as a mental illness. Punk rock has saved many people in many different ways, including Justin. It begs the question, did we choose punk rock, or did punk rock choose us? Hey, I'm Justin Pearson. I currently play in The Locust, Dead Cross, Planet B, Death Club, and I'm working on a project called Satanic Planet. Those are my current projects that I'm involved in. I also run the record label 31G, and then I've been in a bunch of other bands that are no longer uh, functioning. You asked like, what my relationship is with the punk scene. I don't know. I don't have a relationship with any kind of scene. I think I have a relationship with punk ideology or punk ethics. Um, I think it's like a broader thing because I see the concept of what punk is in things that aren't necessarily punk or punk rock, which is a pretty vague thing, but also like a super wide and open thing. Because to me, the essence of punk existed before punk did. It just kind of became something through a certain kind of um, reaction, which was, I guess, fueled by a kind of music or whatever, or a lifestyle. So it chose me. um, And so that's my relationship with it. It gave me the ability to survive in the world that I live in. A tie-in would be like, I think punk is something that was kind of born out of struggle for mental health to better people's mental health. It was a, it was like a, a reaction to the world that people lived in. For me, it fit. And when I, when I discovered punk, it made a lot of sense to me and it helped me. It gave me an outlet and it also gave me a community and it gave me a set of morals and ethics, but it also gave me hope that's a weird word to use, hope. For me, I think it's it's a tricky word to use, but uh, it, it gave me hope as, as a younger person to realize that, I don't know, it kind of like showed me that there's something to fight for and something to align me with other people like in the world that had similar situations. I think that it all kind of comes in full circle. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of times people will ask about like the music that I play and, and why. A lot of times, I don't think they realize that it is very therapeutic, not only for the players, but I think for the audience. People deal with 
um, mental health issues in different ways. And some of them don't have an outlet and it kind of backfires and, and ends up fucking up a lot of stuff, including themselves and other people. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good thing to kind of help people a vessel, uh, I suppose. So. Well, I want to congratulate you, Justin, because you just nailed the whole podcast on the head. There. <laughs> it's, it's the whole reason why I'm doing this, you know, my own mental health struggles, dealing with those, the scream therapy, the therapeutic side of it. Did I choose punk rock or did punk rock choose me? So there you go. We're on the same page here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned to me that you're dealing with PTSD symptoms. And I was curious about that and how that's affected your life. Well, it's kind of weird. I mean, a lot of it happened in retrospect. So I started playing in, in my first band when I was 15. I'd already been like going to shows and absurd kind of music at like extreme volumes and like extreme actions, you know, and like spikes and leather jackets and mohawks and circle pits and stuff like that. And I think it kind of just like set me on this path. So like, yeah, late 80s and discovering skateboarding and that was the vessel to everything was skateboarding because in Thrasher magazine was punk stuff. And, you know, a good reference would be Pushead, the artist who was yeah. also in Septic Death and then like started figuring out music and the Thrasher skate rock comps, kind of like catching on to like absurd music. And and it's funny because people like when I get interviewed for band stuff, they'll say like, oh, what are your influences? And, they, and they're expecting like me to say, oh, you know, the birthday party and PIL or, or whatever, you know, and yeah, I like all these weird bands, but like, I want to know like why people like those things. Like, why did, why did we all like go seek out crazy shit, you know, like stuff that wasn't really sort of, I guess, socially accepted and suitable for kids, you know? I mean, I was like 10 years old seeing really fucked up, you know, like crazy shit going and seeing suicidal tendencies at the age of 10, even now, doesn't seem like it should be like a normal thing. It was like a safe space for me, even though it wasn't even, you know, it was pretty violent, but, uh, but it was like safe and felt, I felt comfortable. It helped me become, it helped me start to figure out who I was and what I was. And then eventually it really took over when I discovered the concept of record labels. So like alternative tentacles, obviously through the dead Kennedys and then stuff like minor threat and, Di and discord and Fugazi and then kind of going into more like super rad underground stuff, figuring out like. Gravity Records and, and Vinyl Communications, and a big one was Ebullition. And so then it was like, I started finding these like sort of communities that were something that were like really obtainable for me. Those were people that were my friends or my comrades or something where like it wasn't someone on a stage that, that I couldn't necessarily connect with. These are like people that I could actually end up hanging out with or calling on the phone or, or going to a show with them. So are you saying that symptoms of the PTSD were because you're dealing with this stuff that's swirling around in your head? I mean, is that part of it too, using the punk scene as a, as a positive? Yeah, totally. I wasn't trying to like mask something. I, so I, there was like these underlying issues that I was struggling with that even now, back then I thought it was like normal. And then, but now I think, well, whatever, like everyone struggles, you know? So it's like, it's weird for me to be like, oh my God, I was, I was abused. Yeah, I was abused, but like, fuck, I wasn't raped. So like, maybe I should just not complain, not to discredit myself or other people's, you know, situations that they might've been in or be, or might be in like, because fuck, I just looked at it like it always could be worse for me. So like, I, I never complained about it. Uh, yeah. My mom's boyfriend beat the shit out of me and pulled a gun out on me, do all this crazy shit with like beat my dog. And you know, I'm like, well, I mean, it could have been worse. Could have been killed. I don't want to sound like I'm like, Oh my God. It was so hard. Yeah, it was fucking hard, but I got through it. And my only way to get through it was my 
friends and family and music and weird art and the things that I was like connecting with. I don't want to call like punk rock my parent. It was helping raise me. There was points where it was like the people that I was turning to as a 13-year-old definitely was not my mom and my dad was dead. So I was talking to my my peers or my or like the elders that I knew that were older. You know, I mean, I had a couple friends that were older than me, kind of weirdo punks. They might not have had the right answer, but their answer was definitely better than what I could have got from my parents if I could have ever even had the opportunity to ask my mom or my dad questions or ask them for things, you know, because like as soon as my dad, before my dad was killed, he was like, you're going to be a drug addict if you listen to this shit. You're going to be, I don't even know what his, pro-. I was like, well, yeah, but you're an alcoholic and you, you know, you beat your wife. I don't know. Like these people seem cooler than you, <laughs> not cooler, like hip cooler, but better people or whatever, you know, my mom seemed like pretty indifferent. I don't think she really fully grasped me getting into punk rock until a little bit later, but my dad was like, oh, you're going to be like Sid Vicious. And that was like, the, I think his only reference point. And I was like, man, fuck that. To me, I was like, I'm going to be like Johnny Rotten or like, you know, I, mean, I didn't, I didn't want to, I wasn't really into the nihilist drug addict shit. I was into like the more socially political, like fuck you kind of weird, bad attitude, like good, bad attitude kind of stuff. And that's why I think like I was really into punk bands like the Dead Kennedys and stuff. And even like getting into like more underground stuff, like the Crucifix or something like that stuff was it was sort of like education too, you know, because I was reading about interesting politics or interesting parts of the history of history and stuff. And I think that was like, that was really cool for me. I guess my more physical struggles were tying into like mental illness was like, I started addressing the fact that I had chronic migraines almost my entire life from as early as I can remember, like five and six. They were pretty frequent, at least once a week, sometimes more, sometimes less, but they would get so bad that I would vomit and then I'd have to go to sleep for a few hours to get it to go away. I was always leaving school because I was just throwing up everywhere, you know, and like just super fucked up. I don't think my dad cared. My mom, you know, I remember her taking me to the doctors, just kind of being like, oh, you're allergic to milk. You know, at the age of 12, I quit drinking milk, and I, but I still had chronic migraines up until like a couple years ago, and I still do get them. Like every time I went to the doctors, it was always, oh, it's because you're allergic to something. You know, eventually, like when I got a little bit older, it was kind of like, oh, it's, it's stress. You know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's stress. Well, like, what am I stressed out about? What's well, my fight or flight reaction to stress is to get a migraine and then it just gets super fucked up and I barf and you know, ruining the, in my whole day or whatever, be, you know, being out of commission for a whole day. And I want to ask you what happened to your dad. That sounds like a really a tough situation. It comes up a lot. On my own, I think I should probably quit talking about it. It seems like I'm kind of like pitying myself or something, but I don't know if I'm really pitying myself. I think what I'm trying to say is it was like this really major point in my life that shifted a lot of stuff. It changed my path in life. It changed like what I was going to experience, the situations that I was going to find or be involved in. So anyhow, when I was younger, my dad was an alcoholic and at the time, before his death, uh, my mom and, and myself didn't know this yet, but he had a, a brain aneurysm. So it got to be like pretty bad where he would drink and you know he could have like a couple beers and just be like super fucked up and belligerent. It, it was a good chunk of time where he was getting hammered and like getting DUIs and wrecking the car and fighting people and like just fucking crazy shit. When I was 12, he was, he was killed. But so like right before that, there was this point where like the police were after him. Like we couldn't let anybody know where he lived because he had too many DUIs and 
I don't know, it was weird. I, I, like if anyone called from my dad at my house, we couldn't say he lived there. He got this new job working for like a tool company or something. So he was at a meeting apparently. This is like when I was 12. So I think it was 87, the night before Halloween. So October 30th, after the meeting, he went to the bar and like was drunk and <clears throat> hit on this young girl and she was with two dudes and they, they ended up fighting at the restaurant and they all got thrown out, you know, into the parking lot and evicted from the place or whatever. The two guys followed him home and beat him and robbed him in our, in our driveway. And, and essentially like, I guess one, one of the guys like hit him on the head, um, I think with a crowbar or something and the brain aneurysm exploded. And that's what, that was the technical cause of the death from like the stress or something. Yeah. So he, so he died in the driveway and, and, you know, I think my mom found him and I had stayed at a friend's house that night, so I wasn't there. So my mom in the morning came over and and got me and told me and, you know, it was, it was pretty fucking weird. And, um, like my dad was abusive only to my mom. He was not abusive to me. I mean, he didn't care about me. So he, I was ignored, but like after he was killed, my mom got a new boyfriend like pretty quick and we moved to California from Arizona to live with him. And he was abusive to me and her so then it was like a new level. I mean, the first time I ever met the guy hit me. It was fucking crazy, yeah. man. I mean, a 12-year-old kid doesn't need to get punched in the head, you know, by an adult, I don't think. I mean, I was a dick, as a 12-year-old should be, especially a 12-year-old that just had his dad killed and was getting into, like, punk rock. <laughs> I mean, I fucking should have been a dick. Again, it's like, yeah, I wasn't that bad. I mean, I keep looking at it like there was physical abuse, but I'm so grateful because I have a lot of friends that were, like, molested and raped. I'm so fucking glad that that stuff never happened to me, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, it still sucked to have a dude, like, beat me up. Or, like, to beat my mom up and come home and be like, Mom, why is your arm broken? Oh, Frank did that to your arm, you know? And you're like, oh, that's cool. We're going to still live with this guy. (laughs) Well, a lot of people that deal with PTSD symptoms, obviously with the trauma as part of that, they do have a tendency to disassociate. You have to downplay it to survive. For me, it's fine, whatever. But for other people that had like even more severe stuff happen to them, I just can't. It's so heartbreaking that people do that. You know, I get it. I get why people do it, but it's just crazy that that's that's how it happens. The reality is, we only deal with our own stuff, and it can feel pretty crisis mode sometimes. Totally. For myself, I'm grateful that I didn't choose to do too much stupid shit that would land me in prison or 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 dead. Yeah. Or harm someone else. You know, in like my mid 20s, like PTSD, like, well, that sounds crazy. Like, I've never even heard of that. The main like definition that I was wrapping my head around was, oh, people that go to war and like fucking see like brutal shit and like kill people and then have to come back and like, like a non flashback. That's PTSD, you know, like, so I thought I don't have that. Like, I didn't go through fucked up stuff like that. A lot of folks don't consider PTSD as being a mental illness, which we know now that it is. Yeah. So at some point in our time, it became a it became an illness. It should have been like back, you know, before before us. Like it's yeah. probably our parents suffered from that as well. I mean, because I do wonder, like, why was my dad the way he was? You know, like I think he probably suffered from some kind of, you know, so like yeah. that was why he was a dick. Do you uh, ever have what's called disassociation? I would imagine when you're on stage, you would go to a different place. Totally, man. So like. I don't, I don't want to use like the wrong, cause I'm an atheist, but it, it kind of become like sort of like a spiritual thing. Okay. We're about to start playing. 
most of the drummers I play with will have like a cue, not like a four count. So it'll be like a one snare hit or just a visual cue like to come in. It's almost like a gunshot. It's just like, boom. It's like, there's the race. Like, that's when you start. Like, boom, like one. Like, not here's the four count to come in. Like, prep yourself, get ready. For me, it helps transcend to somewhere else. Like, so like the first hit happens. The next time I become like fully conscious and rational is when it's done. There's therapy in it for sure. Do you think that you're channeling your trauma? Man, I I don't want to say like I'm channeling my trauma. I think I I think I'm channeling everything. Yeah, I mean, part of that is there, you know, because I kind of fuck man, like just standing there, I don't know, like what whatever's happening in my in my mind or or beyond my mind is something. If I think about how I felt at that time or like look at video or photos of me and be like, "Fuck, you look pretty fucked up right there," you know? To me, it felt like when my parents would like beat each other up and I'd have to hide behind the couch, you know, and I'd have to like grab my dog and like hide behind the couch so we didn't get hurt. I kind of felt like that. Like, I'm like, ah, like Ugh. it has this like sort of intense, I'm going to fucking stab you in the neck kind of shit, you know. But but at the same time, like I mean, we're performing to people that I hope are like minded, loving, smart people that I want to relate to and connect to. So I don't really want to attack them, but it's all part of the music and the vibe and the lyrics and everything that kind of create this element, this storyline, communicating something beyond, you know, beyond the words. So think about the, like, just not even me, not even like my whole childhood of getting beat up by jocks and skinheads and fucking cops and shit. Like, no, no, it's like, look at the world we live in, the injustices. Those are things that I am aware of. Those things help fuel what we're doing. There, there's part of the message there. Like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I struggle with things in life. And again, like, yeah, PTSD. But like, it's shit's worse for other people. I'm there for them too. Those performances aren't just for us. Those, we're not speaking about or for or to just us. It's a bigger picture, you know, because I think that's why it comes back to like the concept of what punk is. And it doesn't have to be like fast, you know, beat uh, and like screaming vocals. It could be something else. What's the mentality behind being behind the mask? You know, I'm talking about the locust, obviously. And how does it feel? Our objective was never really to hide behind a mask. There are times where it like creates this sort of performance element to it where it's not necessarily musical. And it's just a band using like, their own light system or lighting or whatever, you know, or, or, or props or whatever, you know, I mean, it kind of makes, it brings in, it matches the sound, you know, it's this sort of post-apocalyptic sci-fi thing, like a B horror sci-fi film musically and visually, you know, you, you're like, this looks ridiculous and sketchy. And I think that it just made sense and felt comfortable and it felt fun and cool and interesting. But like, there are times where like we were performing with people or touring with bands where their audience just hated us and having the ability to be behind a mask is great because then they can't see your reaction you know like they don't know like if you're laughing at them they don't know if you're frightened or pissed it just seems like there's no reaction i think that is like really helpful and really helped intensify positive and negative reactions to what we were doing and and then i'm all for that you know i think it's great because i think to me, I look at it like this, like when you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off, you're mad and your your initial reaction is to flip them off and honk at them and be like, fuck you. And then they go like, oh my God, I got the best of them. Like they're really mad or whatever. 
But I've noticed if you get cut off and you're really mad at someone, the best is to like be expressionless and just give them a thumbs down. Because then it's kind of like, <laughs> you're just like, what the fuck? Like they're casually just shitting on me right now. You know, and, they, and that's how I equate it. It's sort of not like that we're giving the audience a thumbs down. Our energy is being redirected somewhere else. It's, it's in the playing. It's in the, it's in the like preciseness. I don't want to have to like react to anyone in the audience. It, and it makes it cooler and like seems more like mystical or something. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, I want to read you this quote. So this came from the Art of Process podcast. Ian Mackay was on there talking about when Fugazi was in Europe in 2002, right around Halloween. Okay. And they went and bought some masks and decided to put them on for the last encore that night. Uh, Fugazi obviously had never worn masks before, <laughs> being, being the uh, stoic folks that they are. And this is the quote that he had. He said, I had this feeling I've never had before, and it was so empowering. I realized that we are very aware of our faces and what they are revealing. So when we play and our faces are being exposed, we are being read by people. When you put the mask on, you are free. I suddenly understood Slipknot, and I suddenly understood Kiss, or The Residents, or The Locust. He doesn't say that. Oh, oh, damn. And the kind of liberation that comes with that kind of masking, it was profound. So I thought of you when I saw that quote. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I grew up thinking I liked Kiss, but um, then I realized that their music was horrible. But The Residents are a good example. When I saw The Residents play, I couldn't understand it. I mean, I understood it, but I couldn't understand, like, like, is that guy struggling, like, playing that riff? Or, like, are they passionate? I don't know what's... I don't understand this. It was so cool and foreign, and, and it was... Um, I liked the challenge as an audience member. The challenge to understand it. And, like, what Ian said is great, and it totally makes sense. You could see Ian or Gee or any of them, like, you're like, dude, they're totally rocking out. You can see the passion, but you remove that, and you're like, what in the fuck is going on? Like, this is so bizarre. It's like giving the audience a little bit more to work on, you know, to figure out. And it's and it makes it cool because it's not as it doesn't make things like less obvious, I think. You know, but then there's also the perks too. Like there's been a couple times where people wanted to fight us and I took my mask off and then the audience didn't, you know, the people that wanted to fight us couldn't figure out who was who. I mean, I had this dude come up and be like, Where's the fucking bass player? And I'm like packing up all my shit. I don't know, I'm just the roadie or whatever, you know, and like <laughs> the guy stormed off looking for someone else. Can you name one song that really helped you when you were young? I don't let's know. Go, let's go album. Let's go album. It's a little bit easier. Well, when I when I was real when I was really young, I, it, the things that caught my attention were were maybe not quite. You know, I remember like getting I, album is easier, but like I remember getting Nevermind the Bullocks, hearing that song Bodies, and where you can clearly hear fuck in it, and I was like, oh my god, this is like the best, you know, because it was like kind of the first time that you really could hear the f word. I could play that and my parents would be like, what is this? You know, and I was like, that was kind of like a big deal. I don't care about that word or whatever. Like it's not as impactful uh, as a 44 year old as it was as like a 10 year old, you know, but like that was something that really influenced me or like affected me. But to me, it was probably something off of the first Suicide Tendencies record. I remember kind of getting that and like feeling all of these different emotions. The Sex Pistols and PIL was my jam. But I remember trading a friend of mine in middle school Never mind the Bullocks for the first, not trading, but like loaning. Never mind the Bullocks for the first Suicide Tendencies record. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is up there. What are you trying to say? I'm crazy. When I went to your school, I went to your churches, I went to your institutional learning facilities. So how can you say I'm crazy? There was like 
social anxiety and, and tension. It was like sort of personal thing, and it did deal with mental illness and obviously the names to tendencies, but seeing this like hugely positive thing and hugely negative thing all in one. And I appreciated that honesty. Yeah, I was super fired up by like a song that said I shot Reagan, but I was also like really paying attention to the fact that like the like sort of like struggle that, you know, Mike Muir was like trying with his family and like elements of perception of, of him as a child, you know, and like those are things that like, I think I really identified with. So uh, maybe maybe that record was, was one of them. You found solace in punk and the things that it represents and the things you were involved with, skateboarding, bands, just being around friends and feeling like you were supported, which wasn't a thing that really happened too much when you were a kid. So I just think it's really cool. I, I like your attitude about things. I think that if more folks with mental health issues or conditions had the same approach, maybe we'd be a little bit better off. So you've definitely inspired me. Well, thanks. But, you know, another thing is interesting that I've learned from a lot of people that have bigger kind of like legitimate families is your family doesn't have to be your your blood. People in the punk community are my family. And like those are the people that I if I needed help, I would turn to someone, not someone that's related to me by blood or by marriage or whatever. You know, like this person is related to me by something else. And if people that are struggling with mental illness could just realize that. It's a possibility to like reach out to someone that's not your biological something, you know, like you're like, okay, this person is my family and they will help me and they do care about me. There is empathy and there is community and family in punk, which is uh, needed at a, you know, a lot of times, I think, with a lot of people that are struggling with mental illness. So that is also why I think it's attractive to it. I mean, that's probably part of the reason why I was so attracted to punk, because I was like, oh, there's a family there. These are people that I can trust. A good example is when I first started getting into punk, Jose Palafox, one of my best friends, who's still my friend today and was in the first two bands with me and played many shows together and different projects and stuff. And like, I don't have a brother, I don't have siblings, but he, he helped me. And I hope maybe I helped him, but he definitely helped me through times that I might not have got through and vice versa, you know? So the, I think that's something that people, I hope, can maybe realize at some point. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Screen Therapy. Screen Therapy is now airing on college and community radio stations. They include my hometown radio station, CGMP, out of Powell River, Radio Humber from Humber College in Toronto, Ontario, and Radio Waterloo, CKMS, from Waterloo, Ontario. If you like a certain radio station, hit them up and tell them about the podcast. You can connect with me at soundcloud.com slash screamtherapy, or you can email me directly at jasonschurz at telus.net. That's J-A-S-O-N-S-C-H-R-E-U-R-S at telus.net. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care and be well. Keep it